Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Sunday, August 20th. Uh, Glad that you are with us here on our second week at looking at the people of God and uh, the book of Acts we're going to go through here this fall season. Before I get into that, though, just a couple announcements. One is this coming Sunday or Wednesday is our first youth group of the season. So both Breakout and Collide start up this Wednesday. Uh, Breakout is at 545 to 715. And Collide is uh, our high school group, and that starts up. Uh, from 7.30 to 8.45. Our new youth pastor, Tobias Welling, be in prayer for him amongst also his uh, leaders as he gets going with that. The following Wednesday is when we start up our BCC Kids Elementary School program here at the church, as well as all of our adult small groups. They begin that week. And so everything's kind of getting going for the fall. We also have a high school trip up to South Dakota to see Lifelight which is a concert of many different Christian bands. And so if you are interested, your high schooler wants to go to that, uh, they need to register right away for that. And then we have a a bridal shower coming up for Brenna, who is marrying our youth pastor, Tobias. Uh, They're getting married in October, so we're going to have a bridal shower in September for her. And all of those informations are on your church email today. If you would like to look at that and uh, respond, register, whatever it takes uh, to become a part of those things. All right, let's begin today. The scripture, if you've got your Bibles there and want to follow along with me, Uh, We're going to look at Acts 1, verses 4, through chapter 2, verses 4, as we look at this one chapter here, and just about how it all began for us as a church. Let's look at what it says. It says, on one occasion when Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates of things. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back just as the way that he went. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and the Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among them, the believers, and it was a group numbering 120. 
And he said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke about long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward that he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field and there he fell headlong. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about it, so they called that field in their language a Keldama, which is field of blood. Peter said, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, that no one would dwell in it, and also may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, Peter says, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us this whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us, from one of these must become a witness to the resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, or known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go to where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So last year, from the fall to the spring, uh, we studied the Gospel of John together. We looked at all the stories from Jesus' birth to the miracles and the teachings and the calling of His disciples, all the way up to Easter time when we looked at His death and resurrection for us. Well, this fall, I want to pick up where we left off. The book of Acts is what happened next, after the resurrection. What happened to those disciples? What did they do with the message? Well, the book of Acts tells us about the start of the church. And I have titled this sermon, How It All Began. And I love looking at how things began. I love watching documentaries and biographies. You know, my family, they hate them. They say, please, Dad, anything but another documentary. Right? But I love learning how things began. You know, the origins of a famous song or a band or how a kid became Michael Jordan, you know. Well, we had a funeral this week for Dave Cruzy. Uh, Dave died of cancer at the age of 55. And I was at Ken and Sue's house, and we were talking about Dave, and they were showing me pictures of him as a little boy growing up in the 70s. He was getting a perm in one of the pictures, uh, and uh, he didn't look too happy with all the curlers in his hair. And, and they had pictures of him as a little kid fishing. He always loved to fish as a kid and got a new fishing pole. And his brothers were telling me stories, remembering of the fun they used to have. They would, they would make a zip line in their backyard, which, man, that's just asking for trouble. But they shared about a few of the accidents and stories of playing on that as boys. But as we were telling stories, I asked Sue if she could remember when Dave was born. You know, Dave was her first born. 
And she remembered many things about that, that day. But one of the best memories she said she had was watching her mother hold Dave and pray over him when he was just hours old. She also remembered the time when Dave was eight years old and came running out of his Sunday school class yelling, I gave my life to the Lord. I love learning about the beginnings of things. The spark that started the fire, the first decision to begin a business, or what you first loved about the person that you would ultimately marry, or, or what God did to first lay that vision of whatever on your heart. Well, last year we celebrated the 140th anniversary of our church here in Waverly. And I loved that service. I loved hearing the stories of the grandkids of the pioneers and how they told us about the immigrants from Sweden and how they came over and they built their homes and their farms and how tough it was in those winters and how the same time they built their homes, they were building a church. And they told us of how it began in the living room of one of them and how they gathered there to pray and read scripture together and how at that time one woman stepped up to start a Sunday school class for the kids and just took them over into the kitchen and around the kitchen table. That's where it began. And then a few guys got what they had together and built a little mission house on the corner of Davy in 98. It's how it all began. I love thinking about how God stirs the heart of his people and things begin. Well, this morning we look at Acts 1 and how the church began. And what we learned about those earliest days and those first people who believed in Jesus and saw him alive after the resurrection. We read here <clears throat> that there were 120 of them at the beginning. Jesus' mother is mentioned here, his brothers and the disciples, and 120 total. They were the first ones. The church is traced back to this group, which meet in the upper room. Now, the first thing we learn in our scripture is that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive and truly the Son of God. But he also had spoke to them about the kingdom of God, it says. For 40 days, Jesus continued to teach them, but now as the resurrected Lord. And in that time, he gives them a command. His command was to wait to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift that God the Father had promised would come, and that was the Holy Spirit. He tells them that with the Holy Spirit, they're going to be his witnesses to all of the world. Now, up until that time, the Holy Spirit only came down upon special people, an anointed king or a prophet, but he never dwelt within a person. But now in Christ, what he's saying is God's people are going to know the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
God within them. Not just special people, but ordinary people like us. Not just a few, but all who would believe in him. The Holy Spirit would come to live within us and do in us what Jesus had been doing. We would now do. The Holy Spirit is that third person of the Trinity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And we see all three at work within this chapter. You see God the Father who sent the Son, who is our Savior, who died and rose again, who then ascended into heaven, who now sends the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us, to continue the work that He begun. Now through us, His people, that is the church. Ordinary people like us, filled with the presence and power of God in our hearts and our lives. That is the church. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that he would guide us into all truth. He would remind us of the things that Jesus taught and convict us of sin and lead us. Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that he wouldn't leave them as orphans, but he would send the Holy Spirit who would be their counselor, their daily guide. Jesus even said in John 16, it's good for you that I go away, for unless I go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him. Jesus said the world would not accept him, for it neither sees him nor knows him. But we will know him, for he will live with us and be in us. So the Holy Spirit is God with us, living in his people, which is exactly what the Old Testament foretold. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you to move you to follow my decrees and commands. So the Holy Spirit is what moves us to do the will and the purposes of God. I gave my life to the Lord when I was seven years old. I did so with my dad in my room. I asked Jesus into my heart. I prayed a prayer and I meant it. And then at the age of 12, I was at church camp and the speaker's words just seemed to speak right to me. I was just that little bit older and I could understand a little bit more about how Jesus died for me and if I just believe in him, I can have eternal life and God would come and live in me and I can have a personal relationship with God. And I remember that camp and just feeling God so near. I can honestly say that I felt that God was with me from that day on. I began to talk to God in prayer. And when I was discouraged or lost my way or in college just trying to figure life out, I just knew the Lord was there with me. And as I read his words in the Bible, I felt at times that he was speaking right to me. I knew his peace or conviction or comfort and love. I knew I was not alone. I felt and I still do feel empowered to do the work that God has given me. This is the Holy Spirit that from the moment I accepted Christ has come into my life and yours too. Well, in our chapter, we see the beginnings of this. 
Jesus tells his disciples to wait for this, to wait for the Holy Spirit before they go out and try to do the mission. They weren't to do it on their own strength, but his. So I think the first thing we learn here is that there is no church without the Holy Spirit, right? Without the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> we're just people. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but people can't change the world, even though we want to. But without the Holy Spirit, we are just a club or an organization that tries to do good things. But the church is different. I want us to hear that today. The church is different. It's not just people. But as we learned last week, Christ is our very cornerstone. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He is literally within us and among us. This is not just a human movement, but it is a God movement in the world that began 2,000 years ago. It was the Holy Spirit that transformed those fishermen into apostles that could do miracles. And it is the same Holy Spirit that still transforms lives and communities today. God at work among us. That's who we are. Jesus told the disciples, don't leave home without him. Don't go in your own strength or in your own wisdom. Wait for the Holy Spirit. So the disciples did. They obeyed the Lord, and our scripture tells us they waited in Jerusalem. And in verse 13, we read, they went to the upstairs room that they were staying. Now, we can only assume that this is the same upper room that they had the Last Supper in, the same upper room that they were hiding in after Jesus' crucifixion, the same upper room that Jesus appeared to them in and showed them his hands and his feet and his side after the resurrection. We're assuming it's the same upper room. And the disciples are there, all except one. There is a space now around the table that is empty, and it is Judas's spot. And we read the first item of business for that early church was to fill that spot. Now, our chapter has this sad commentary about Judas. Peter stands up acknowledging that Judas is gone and he tells the others that he was one of our number who shared in this ministry, but he did what had been foretold. He betrayed the Lord and served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. The writer in Acts, he adds this little parenthesis in verses 18 and 19, which is really graphic about Judas' death, which we know in other places that Judas regretted what he did and went off and hung himself. We learned the place that he died is called Alcanaba, which means blood. Now, I almost didn't read these verses or mention this part because it's so graphic, but I thought, no, this is in the Bible. It's hard to read it. It's sad, but it is the truth. These disciples are getting over the fact that one of their very own friends is gone. One of them betrayed the Lord. And Peter is both saying that God used it for his purpose, but also Judas perished in his wickedness. And I have said this before, but it wasn't that Judas betrayed the Lord or sinned or failed that was his ultimate downfall. 
Because we all sit and fall short of the glory of God. Peter even failed in that moment. He denied the Lord three times. But the difference with Peter is that he believed in the Lord and he loved the Lord. And so in the midst of his failure, he turned to the Lord and was forgiven and restored where Judas did not. He heard all the same teachings and saw all the same miracles, but he didn't believe in Jesus. And so he died in his guilt and his shame. My first year in ministry, I was at a pastor's gathering, and the pastor who was leading our dinner, he, he said, you know, we're going to go around the room, and we're each going to share a joy that we've had in the ministry over the years, and we also want to share a sadness. And what I remember of that sharing time was that all these pastors who were much older than I, and some of them have been in ministry their whole lives, you know, uh, some of them, even close to retiring, when they shared about their sadness, it was so real. It wasn't about some program that didn't work or some attendance thing or church budget or anything like that. It was people that they had loved who over the years had walked away from God. Some of these pastors had huge tears for people that they were still praying for or others caught in addictions and never able to get free of it, or youth that they had loved as a kid who, who had so much potential and then started down a wrong path and hadn't yet come back. These were the tears of the pastors for the empty spaces in the pews. We read here in Acts, as the disciples got together and all the people, there's one spot around the table that was empty. So the first item of business was to address, they were all thinking, and then to fill Judas's spot. And in this, we learned that there's, you know, more than just 11 disciples that are there, of course. Verse 15 tells us it's a group of 120 believers at this point, men, women, it even mentions Mary, you know, Jesus' mother, and the brothers are there. I'm sure there were little kids running around, and it says that they all joined constantly together in prayer. And if I were to guess who else might have been among them, I would maybe guess Joseph of Arimathea, who gave the tomb to Jesus, or Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee who stood up for Jesus in the Sanhedrin, or, or maybe Lazarus, who Jesus had just raised from the dead. You know, weeks earlier, or Mary and Martha, or Mary Magdalene, who was the first to the tomb to see the stone rolled away. Who knows all those who could have been there? But these were the first ones, and they were all together in the upper room, the first people of the church. I mean, this is how it began. That early church had nothing of the things that we think are so essential. They had no building, no money, no music, no political influence or social status, and just a small number of ordinary people who had all witnessed the truth of Jesus Christ, had been touched by his love and grace and believed in him. Ordinary people who were about to be ignited by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want to draw your attention to something we read here. It says that they all joined together constantly in prayer. The church began with prayer. That's the second thing we learned. The church began in prayer. 
Jesus had said that the house of the Lord was to be a house of prayer for all people everywhere. We today tend to focus on preaching or singing or outreach, and all those things are important parts of what we do. But prayer is the most essential and core of who we are and where we come from and our life together. It's how it all began. We began in prayer. We are a people who pray, who come together and call in the name of our Lord for this person or that person or this trouble or direction of where we to go next. The Holy Spirit came upon the people when they humbled themselves and prayed. I always think that I'm supposed to do something more than that. That I'm supposed to, you know, say something or bring something or fix something. But no. What does he most want from us? What can we bring to each other as, as people of God? We bring our prayer. We pray when we're apart. We pray when we come together. It's the number one thing of what our board meeting should be doing. It is prayer or our worship times or our counseling sessions. It's prayer. This is when we see God move. You know, when we as leaders and pastors and Sunday school teachers and deacons and moms and dads pray. And we see that right from the very beginning. Peter stands up among them and he shares how Judas' you know, seat is now open and, and how they need to fill it. Fill that spot in leadership. And just like Jesus, when he first picked the 12 disciples, he went up on a mountainside and prayed and then came down and said, which 12? In the same way, these guys, when they say, we need to fill this open spot, they choose a couple men and then they prayed. And they prayed these words, Lord, you know everybody's heart, so show us which of these two you have chosen. And the lot fell to Matthias. They didn't just pick who they thought. They prayed about it. And the Lord showed who he had chosen. There was this great couple at our church in Canada. They had been dating for a long time. Sweet couple. They just looked perfect together. I mean, this is a wonderful couple. But I so admired what they did. They both took a weekend to fast and pray. And she even asked me to pray for them too, that God would show them if they were supposed to get married. And I admired this so much. They wanted to make sure this was from the Lord. I mean, they knew what they wanted to do, and everybody was telling them this is a good idea, but they wanted to know from the Lord. And so they prayed about it. Do we pray about the things that we already think are good ideas, or do we just do them? Do we lift up big decisions like this to God? For we are the people of God, called first to pray and seek the Lord in all things. Just an interesting note here also. You may ask, why did they need to fill the spot of Judas? I mean, why did they have to have 12 and in all my study, it's because the Old Testament, the people of Israel were 12 tribes. And these 12 apostles were sent 
to the 12 tribes of Israel to share with them about Christ. This was the start of a new people. And so again, symbolic in that God was restoring his people, making a new covenant in Christ, a new temple, not made of stones, but of people, God among them. Uh, now, instead of the 12 tribes, it's 12 apostles. Something interesting too, if you read on in Acts, there's one more person that would be called an apostle, uh, 13th, and, and that is Paul. Jesus himself calls him and sends him to the Gentiles, not to the house of Israel, but to the Gentiles. So Jesus, you could say, called an apostle for each tribe and then a 13th to go to the Gentiles. So in this first chapter of Acts, we learn about the weeks after the resurrection we learned that Jesus appeared to them and taught them over a period of 40 days, told them to wait for the Holy Spirit before leaving, going into the world with the message. Jesus then ascended into heaven. The disciples obeyed the Lord and waited, probably in the same upper room that the Last Supper was in. We learned there's 120 of them at this point. It tells us they all joined together constantly in prayer. We learned that Peter stood up as the leader from the very beginning. He's the one who saw the missing spot at the table and invited the believers to pray who the Lord would fill that spot with. It had to be someone who was among them from the beginning, who would be a witness to the resurrection. And after choosing two, the lot fell to Matthias. And then the last thing I want us to see how it all began is that our scripture tells us at the start of chapter 2 that on the day of Pentecost, they were all together. When suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the room, they saw what appeared to be tongues of fire coming to rest on each of them, all of them, it says, meaning men, women, apostles, not apostles, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And I shared about this a couple weeks ago, how in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to do what Jesus had called them to do to be his witnesses to the world. They were given the ability to speak other languages, to reach a world in need. The Holy Spirit enables us to do what we cannot. Now, I'm going to pick up on that next Sunday, but all I wanted to say today about this is that it says specifically it was the day of Pentecost, which was the festival of the Jews that followed Passover. And that's very important. Passover was when they sacrificed lambs in the temple to atone for their sin. Pentecost is when they celebrated that harvest had come, the first fruits, and they celebrated all the good things that God had given them, especially his law given to Moses. Pentecost means 50, and it was 50 days after Passover. Well, this is all very important because of the timing. The Bible tells us that Jesus died on a cross on Passover. He was called the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. He died on the very same day they were sacrificing lambs in the temple. God chose that specific day to do His saving work so that people might see all that He was doing. Well, God does it again 50 days later on Pentecost. The day that they're celebrating harvest, the day of the first fruits, God is about to bring 3,000 people in in a great harvest of salvation. The day this church is all beginning. It's the day that also where we celebrate what God had given, especially the law. Well, this was the day that he was going to give the Holy Spirit that we might fulfill the law in our hearts and in our lives. 
So the day the Jews remembered for the giving of the law of Moses would now be remembered as the day God gave the Holy Spirit who moves us to do the law. The timing here is perfect. God's timing is always perfect. But this is how it all began. With 120 believers in an upper room praying, they had nothing of the things that we think are so essential. They were just ordinary people ignited by the Spirit of God to be His witnesses in all the world. And so I'd like to end this sermon with a time of prayer. And I'd like it if you could pray right there in your, your house, in your room. If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but just pray. But all good things come when God's people pray. Nothing begins without prayer. And so maybe you've been wrestling what to do with your kids or what to do in your church or how something's going to happen or where revival's going to happen. And let's start right today as those early followers did in prayer. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we pray for our kids this year that they would come to know you and have an experience of you and that they would truly surrender their lives to you, that you would do a great work in their hearts. We pray, Lord God, for our marriages, where there is brokenness, that you would heal it, where there is a hardship and hurt, that you would bring to us forgiveness, that we might be able to share it, grace for one another, love and patience. We pray for our work, that the things that we do with our heads and the, the work that we do in our minds would be your something pleasing to you bring glory to you. We pray for our church that God, you would do a great revival in our midst beginning with us in our own hearts that we would truly enter into a, a first love with you again and allow you to have all of us that we would hold nothing back. We pray for our neighbors that they would come to see you and be saved. That if you want to use us that we would be a witness you would give us the words to say and the love to show. We pray for the hurting, the sick, the lonely, the depressed, or those just stuck, that you would help, and that you would use us in whatever way, Lord God. We pray for healing and help. We pray for faith and greater love and for hope today to fill our hearts. We thank you, God, that you are, you are everything. You are all we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.